Keep your Bibles open, please, to Galatians chapter 2. A couple of things. If it appears to you that I have something in my mouth, I do. For some reason, after coming to church, uh, I started having a little tickle in the throat. So I have a Ricola in my mouth. And it's cherry. It really tastes good. So, uh, if need be, if I can find them, I carry everything but this kitchen sink in my pocket. There's an extra Ricola if I need it. And the other thing is, uh, Galatians 2.20, maybe for you like me, is one of your favorite verses, maybe one of the verses that you have memorized. And I think it's very interesting that in a time of conflict among the brethren, we wade through all the statements that the Apostle Paul has made, and then in verse 20 we come to an incredible confession of faith. In one verse, a powerful confession of faith. So this morning we're going to look at the crucified, risen life of Jesus and spoke and, and speak of walking in his steps. Because in First Peter chapter two, verse twenty and twenty-one, uh, that concludes with the reality that we are called to walk in his steps. So Father, we ask for the ministry of the Spirit of God upon us. Uh, speak your truth uh, to our hearts, give us understanding, give us application to our lives, and we bless you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Won't spend a lot of time here either, but I do want to call attention to that. um, It's very interesting that the Apostle Peter, the Apostle Peter, was not above compromising the truth in order to please people. Don't ever think you're above that. Uh, He sided with the religious traditions of the day because he did not want to have people thinking badly of him. He knew the truth. And he had had fellowship with the Gentile Christians. But when the circumcision party came around, Peter withdrew and separated himself from the Gentile Christian. Now we see something else here, just on the front end. The Apostle Paul valued truth over popularity. And so he confronted Peter. He confronted Peter. (laughs) That's why I've said many times over the years, do it in a nice way, but if I or anybody else from this pulpit speaks that which is not according to the word of God, you have an obligation before God to humbly and boldly be like Priscilla and Aquila were for Apollos. They knew that he did not understand the resurrection. So they went to him, sat down with him, and broke the truth open to him. And the kingdom of God's ministry advanced out of all of that. So, 
What we want to do this morning in, in light of focusing on verse 20 and other things related to that, is we want to behold Jesus in the Word of God, the sinless, crucified, resurrected, reigning, returning Jesus, and to focus on living out the crucified life. We are called to walk in his steps. So we're going to, first of all, bring together a number of verses and just quote them that speak about the Lamb of God, calling upon us to behold the Lamb of God. We, will, we want to focus upon him. And so we start in the Old Testament in Isaiah 53, 5, but he, Jesus Christ, was wounded for our transgressions and was bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we're healed. There's a translation there on that phrase, the chastisement of our peace was upon him. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. That's, that's the message there. Uh, in case you missed it from the other translation. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. Again in Isaiah 53 verse 6, the Lord hath laid on, the Lord, God the Father, has laid on Jesus the iniquity of us all. Verse 10, thou shalt make his soul an offering to sin. We know from all of scripture that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were Together from eternity past, Jesus was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. When we get to the New Testament in John 1, 29, John says, Behold the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. Paul would write in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, For he hath made him, that is Jesus Christ, God the Father has made Jesus Christ to be sin." For us, who knew no sin, he knew no sin, he had no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, Jesus Christ, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness. There's a Incredible miracle that happens in salvation. We who were slaves to sin are now dead to the dominating power of sin because Jesus bore our sins in his own body, paid the sin debt, and the Holy Spirit comes to live within us, empowering us. All these verses and many more unveil the suffering, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and they help us to focus upon Jesus in the sinner's place. I, I don't know of anything that we could s spend better time on than on a regular basis reminding ourselves of what God has done for us, of what Jesus has done for us. Galatians 1, 4, who gave himself for our sins, 
that he might deliver us out of this present age according to the will of God and God our Father. 1 Corinthians 15, 3. For I delivered unto you as of first importance that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. And we live in a time when in many places pastors don't want to talk about sin. It's out of their vocabulary. It's not out of God's vocabulary. And until God changes his vocabulary, if I'm going to speak in the name of God and bring a message that is from God, I'll have to use his vocabulary. Uh, and we have a whole new generation of, of psychologists and different ones who have a whole list of terms for behavior. Uh, well, he's nars. I can't even say the word. Narcissistic. Am I close enough? Whatever. <laughs> we didn't have those words in Georgia. But with, uh, with that word, there's a whole new uh, income stream for people. Because unless you're trained in this, by their standards, then you can't talk about it. And you can't help anybody with it. Would you like a simple word? It's called selfishness. It's called self-focus. And there are all kinds of words in the scripture that give us an understanding of behavior that is wrong. And the reason why it's important to stick with scriptural language is because God has a solution. And it's found in Jesus Christ. For I delivered unto you of the first importance of what I have received, that Christ died for our sins. 1 Peter three eighteen, For Christ also died for sins once for all. One time. You have to keep dying. Paid for it. Sufficiently broke sin, self, and Satan's power. Died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, in order they may bring us to God. Ephesians 5, 2. Therefore be, oh, we're not just going to have a history lesson here talking about what Jesus did and all the wonderful benefits that come, as good as that is. Ephesians 5, 2. To the believer, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. Walk in love just as Christ also loved us and gave himself up for us an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. We could use a big word here and it's a good one. All of these verses are calling before us something that theologians call the vicarious atonement. Vicarious means substitute. Christ was our substitute. The substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ. Where he took the place of hell-deserving sinners like you and I. And suffered the punishment that we were due. And this is set forth all through the scripture. Again, back to Isaiah 53, verse 4 through 6. Surely our griefs... He himself bore, and our sorrows he carried away. Yet 
We ourselves esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening of our well-being fell on him, and by his scourging we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid, the Father has laid on Jesus the iniquity of us all, of all those who are brought into faith. The New Testament is just as plain, 2 Corinthians 5, 21, He, God, made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf. Again, Romans 4, 5, He, Jesus, who was delivered up because of our transgressions and raised because of our justification, Jesus took our place and bore our sins in his own body on the cross. Jesus made propitiation, satisfaction for our sins. Romans 3.25, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation, a satisfaction in his blood. 1 John 2, 2, and he himself is the propitiation for our sins, the satisfaction. God is holy. Sin has wages. We have nothing with which to pay. Jesus paid. And the Father is satisfied with his payment. So he propitiated our sins. 1 John 4, 10, and this is love. Not that we love God, but that he first loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. The removal of wrath by the offering of himself. So, was that offering of Jesus sufficient? Maybe we need to add something. Maybe need Maybe Jesus needs to do something more. Well, would we, be, would we be willing to take the word of Jesus for him? He came on a mission. And from the cross he spoke instructive words. And after he had bore the wrath of his father upon himself, taking our penalty, our judgment, which we deserve, in John 19:30, Jesus said, It is finished. That is literally one word, and it means paid in full. And so the repenting, believing sinner who is trusting in Jesus Christ, the sin debt is paid in full. In his great love, God the Father gave the Son... So that neither God's holiness nor his justice is compromised as he loves. That's an incredible miracle. How do you do that? (laughs) There's only one way. And it's the way that Jesus did. So God the Father gave his son so that neither God's holiness nor his justice is compromised as he mercifully provides the free gift of salvation for sinners at his own expense. 
how wonderful is the word of God in setting forth the substitutionary sacrifice of Jesus in the sinner's place. I'm trying to make the point this morning that all, out, all over Scripture there is this emphasis, not just upon the person of Jesus, but the work of Jesus, what he came to do. And I'm saying that you and I need to spend time there. Beholding him, we are transformed into his likeness. The true Christian life is rooted and grounded in what Christ has accomplished. As a sinless, crucified, risen, ascended, reigning, returning Lord Jesus Christ, the true Christian life is rooted and grounded. There there is no other foundation. But coming out of that is an incredible life of living celebration. And Paul's testimony in one verse, as we have it set forth in in our Bibles, in verses, in Galatians 2.20. Here is a testimony of living celebration, living participation. I am crucified with Christ. Now, this is not just for the Apostle Paul. If you are born again by the Spirit of God, if you've come to see yourself as a sinner without hope and without God, and you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, this is your testimony. And preach it to yourself every day. Many times a day. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I. But Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, in this human body, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now, I want you to listen carefully to something. We're approaching another season. And for weeks and months now, churches all over the world have been practicing. Because they're going to present... Impressive, dramatic performances. And people are going to ooh and ah. And it's all sincere. Galatians 2.20 is not play acting. It's not something you practice. It's not something you perform. Next week, we're going to have the performance of Galatians 2.20, right here in this auditorium. (laughs) The Christian life is not about performance. It's about radical transformation, where the life of God comes in the soul of man and empowers you to walk in the steps of Jesus. That's why nowhere in the scripture do you find people play-acting, pretending to be Jesus, Acting out the birth of Christ. Acting out the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Play acting is a poor substitute for reality. There's no reality. And people don't care who they use to to do the play acting. Ungodly people are very often the actors. 
And people come and, oh, I saw this movie and it changed my life. Movies don't change your life. Jesus Christ changed your life. Or your life is not changed. It's not play acting. It's not watching or listening to staged, dramatic presentations. We ourselves, Christian, we are on the stage of real life. And we are called and empowered to live a crucified, risen life. And when we get that and we walk in those paths, your Christian life will never be boring again. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. And so we gather every day of our lives, and we gather to worship, and we sing hymns that we might glory in the crucified Christ, who was crucified for us by the once and for all substitutionary sacrifice at Calvary and then by Christ in us. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. Christ for me. Christ in me. We not only possess forgiveness of sin, but by the resurrection life of the indwelling Christ. We again confess, not only I am crucified with Christ. Before the day is out, you're going to need to do this. And I will too. Temptation will come across the screen. I'll be shoved in front of you. It might be to be angry, to be bitter. It might be to lust. It might be a thousand things. And because you now have a fresh awareness and anointing of who you are and whose you are, that temptation comes and you say, no, I'm crucified with Christ. That's not in the life of Christ, shouldn't be in my life. I refuse it. And I'm not only crucified with Christ, I'm raised. I live a new life by the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit. I have power and I have indwelling desire by the Holy Spirit to live a different life. And maybe you come to grips with that just right after you've sinned. You didn't grab it soon enough. But now the Holy Spirit's still not through with you. Because if you have embraced that sin, there's conviction. Oh, Lord God, that was wrong. There was no excuse for it. I want to thank you for the cleansing blood of Jesus that goes on cleansing me from all sin. I want to thank you that I no longer have to live that life. I'm going to say no to that. I'm going to hide God's word afresh in my heart that I might have stronger weapons to win that battle the next time. So I'm going to glory in Christ for me. And glory in Christ in me. All these things being true, I want to spend the rest of our time beholding Jesus in the steps that he took 
in which he calls us to walk in them. If you've been here for a few years, you may recognize something. This is a theme I have been often on since the late 70s. And as the Lord gives me opportunity to preach, I'm not done yet. Because I ain't done needing it. And I know enough about you, you ain't done needing it. There's no message we need more than to embrace the fact that we're called to walk in his steps. And we're empowered to walk in his step because we're crucified. We're risen. This is not just something that happened to Jesus 2,000 years ago. Hallelujah, that's the foundation. But this is the core essence of what it means to be a Christian. So, look at Jesus on Calvary. Nailed there for sinners such as us. Was there ever anyone so mistreated? Was there ever anyone who suffered such injustice? Uh, do you get why we need to look at this? This is an area where we spend a lot of time. We feel like we're mistreated. And in a fallen world, you don't live very long till somebody does mistreat you. Or maybe we mistreat them. And so they're suffering. But no one ever suffered such injustice as Jesus. And yet look at him. Behold him in the scriptures. No resentment. No plans for revenge. No bitterness. No grudges. No self-pity. No depression. Focus on others. Take care of your mother. Yes, I'll remember you in paradise. You'll be with me. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And one of the first people who got it was the first Christian martyr. It's just like you hear in the words of Jesus. He's being persecuted. He's being beaten up on, stoned. He's being bold to give the gospel. And the people don't like that message. They want their religion. They don't want the gospel. In their case, they want their Judaism. They don't want Jesus Christ. But he keeps boldly preaching. So the stones start flying. And the presence of God is, over, is just empowering. And as he is approaching death, he sounds just like Jesus. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And so, don't we need to walk in those steps? Isn't that the path he's called us to walk in? There was meekness, gentleness, humility, acceptance, continuing love, forgiveness, prayer for those who betrayed him and tormented him, Abiding trust in his Father, 
sweet submission to his Father's will, what amazing footprints Jesus left. And he calls us to walk in them. You say, are you sure about that? Well, let's just double check. I don't want to tell you something that's not right. So, in 1 Peter chapter 2, we'll start with verse 18. Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the froward, the King James says, which means to the cruel. For what glory is it if when you are buffeted for your faults, you take it patiently? But if when you do well and suffer for it, and you take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. For even hereunto were you called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow his steps. That's the Christian life. Anything less than that is religion, but not the Christian life. And oh, by the way, in the midst of all of that, you know what the Bible reveals to us? He was anointed with the oil of gladness above all others. He was not morose. He was not a miserable, sulking, sad person. He was anointed with the oil of gladness. Can you, can you just be honest with me for a moment? Can, can't you go back and pull out some times when by the grace of God, you did what God told you to do. You loved, you blessed, you prayed for. You may have had tears. Loving and blessing and praying for didn't necessarily lessen the pain. But because you walked in the steps of Jesus, when you laid your head down that night, you may have still had tears but they were mixed with a peace that passed all understanding and with joy. Lord, you gave me grace to walk in your steps. The wounds that can come to us from others are flesh wounds. They don't infect unless we respond to them wrong. Some of you are tired of knowing that when I was in third grade, I stuck my finger in the washing machine wringer to dry it. Just having fun, playing with the sensation of those rollers. Didn't mean to get caught. But I got caught. I couldn't get it reversed. Finally got it reversed. Ran off the back porch, looked back, a trail of blood. Oh, there's a bone. Now, if I'd gone out to the barnyard and dug some, some good old red worms and gone fishing and, and just laid the hand out for the flies to get over it, you never would have known me. Because that outward fleshly wound would have gotten infected and infected my whole body in a fairly short order. I would have been dead. Not dead because 
of the silly fleshly wound, but dead because of refusing to respond right. When we respond wrongly to the trials and troubles of life, we have no joy. We fight flesh with flesh. We're focused on how bad they are. We're not focused on being redemptive. We're not focused on, I was once that way. We only focus on how bad they were, or they are. Stephen was focused on Jesus and on praying for his tormentors. He was a peaceful man and happy in the Lord and went into the presence of the Lord. And so was the Apostle Paul. Look at his life. He learned a secret. All the things that have happened to me have happened for the furtherance of the gospel. He said, I don't see how the gospel can be furthered from this. No, 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 no. Not from this or that. The gospel is furthered by our Christ-like response to this or that. Where we love and bless and pray for and do good. So, what about my footprints? What road are they on? Jesus, anointed with joy above all others, is calling us. How many are here today believing and enslaved by a big lie? If I walk in the steps of Jesus, somebody will run all over me. If I walk in the steps of Jesus, I'll be miserable. If I walk in the steps of Jesus, that ain't going to work. Didn't work for Jesus, it got him the cross. Whoops. What do you mean didn't work for Jesus? Resurrected, given a name that is above every name. Highly exalted, and one day every knee and every tongue shall confess Jesus Christ as Lord. Didn't work. Walking in the steps of Jesus always works. I must walk in the steps of Jesus. I've got verses for all of this, but we'll just state them at this point. Give you more later, maybe in a newsletter, maybe another message, I don't know. I must walk in the steps of Jesus because it's the real essence of what it means to be a Christian. I must walk in the steps of Jesus because this is what God commands. I must walk in the steps of Jesus lest my actions and reactions to circumstances and people cause me to deny Jesus and grieve the Holy Spirit and rob me of joy and rob me of amazing miracles. I must walk in the steps of Jesus, for God has not authorized me to take his divine prerogative of vengeance. That's his business. I must walk in the steps of Jesus, remembering that God has personally designed my own path or road for his glory and for my good. Lord, I, 
why aren't they having all the, that's not your business how I'm dealing with them. Is so-and-so going to be crucified? That's not your business. You just follow me. I must walk in the steps of Jesus lest I lose perspective. And that perspective is what was understood even by Joseph, but way over in Genesis. Oh, Joseph's going to get back at us. Joseph is up on top now, and we're down here, and he's going to give us some. He's going to pay us back. And Joseph said, am I in the place of God? God brought us here. God brought me here to bring about this day a deliverance. I must walk in the steps of Jesus because love is better than hate. Because forgiveness is better than for than bitterness because faith is better than unbelief because trusting in God is better than despair because submission and obedience to God is better than rebellion and reality and joy is better than religious entertainment and artificial stimulus from amazing make-believe productions. I must walk in the steps of Jesus because such is the path where supernatural grace flows. Where the power and desire to follow Jesus rises within me. That wonderful psalm, Psalm 23, has a little secret hid right in the middle of it. It's an open secret. In Psalm 23, oh, it comes after Job, doesn't it? A lot of situations in life dealt with there. But then he says... Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. There are a lot of missionary biographies and books and stories of Christians who have gone before us. And the ones that we gravitate to and they, they thrill us and they encourage us is those who were found faithful in the fire, in the trouble, in the trial. And when, when you're walking with Jesus, and when you're beholding him, and when you're resting in what he has done for you, and you are yielding to what and who he is in you and ready to be through you, you'll experience Amazing power to win battles over all manner of sins. And temptations 
and make another step in the steps of Jesus. Oh, my friends, let us behold the Lamb of God. Let us repent of going our own way, leaning to our own understanding. I must pronounce to myself or announce to myself a proclamation of reception of my divinely designed road to walk in the steps of Jesus. If you want to call it the Calvary Road, Jesus walked the Calvary Road to Calvary. We get on the Calvary Road at the cross where we come to see ourselves as sinners, cannot save ourselves, and we cry out for his mercy, he saves us. We cease trusting religion, we cease trusting works, we're not interested in anything other than beholding the Lamb of God. And so we get on the Calvary Road at the cross and walk in the power of his resurrection step by step till we get home. Beholding him, living out Galatians 2.20. going forward with a new vision to manifest Christ and to know that in him we're unstoppable and he's going to get the glory. Our Father, we bless you for this major theme of all of Scripture where there is the unveiling, there is the revelation of the true and the living God, and especially of Jesus the Lamb. And the wonder of being able to turn to Scripture and look at Jesus walking toward Calvary. And to see him at Calvary. To hear his profound words empowered by the Father while on Calvary. And Father, then to witness your satisfaction Jesus completely finished redemptive redemption's work. Nothing else has to be done. We come to the Lord's table, as we often do, in glorious remembrance of the once and for all sufficient sacrifice of Jesus. And now, Father, we, we've listened to the wrong voices. We fail to embrace Galatians 2.20. That we not only go back 2,000 years ago, but we come right now to this very moment. And we pronounce by the grace of God, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, 
but Christ lives in me. We bless you for that. And Father, work in the hearts of everyone here today according to the need. And we thank you for it in Jesus' precious name. Amen.